Thank you. Now, now I can talk. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, thanks, everyone. And thank you for uh, inviting me. I really appreciate it. I can't believe the size of the turnout. Um, so thanks for coming. I'm going to talk today about Victoria's Belt and Road Agreement, which I'm sure many of you know much more about than I do uh, in the sense that you're living it as opposed to I just study it from a distance here in Sydney. Um, the Belt and Road Initiative, for those of you who are unaware, is Xi Jinping's personal overarching foreign policy doctrine. It's his brand for what China, how China should engage with the world, uh, well, during his uh, chairmanship of the Communist Party and presumably beyond. It uh, has two components, the Silk Road Economic Belt, which is the belt component going across the Silk Road from China through Kazakhstan into Europe, and the maritime, 21st century maritime silk road, which supposedly connects China to Southeast Asia, uh, Sri Lanka, and across to uh, the East, East Africa and the Middle East. Um, now, these two programs were announced almost accidentally. It's really funny. Xi Jinping, towards the beginning of his uh, presidency, went on a state visit to Kazakhstan. And when you visit Kazakhstan, every foreign leader tries to think, what do I talk about in Kazakhstan? And the obvious thing is, oh, the ancient Silk Roads, and we should revive those ancient Silk Roads. And he gave a speech talking about the need to revive the ancient Silk Road. But it was just one paragraph embedded in a long speech that had a bunch of you know, typical foreign policy platitudes, the need for people-to-people -people connections, the need for win-win cooperation, all of these sorts of things. In fact, when he later went and talked to the parliament uh, of... Um, I'm sorry, when he went to talk at the Shanghai Cooperation Organization annual meeting, which was being held there in Central Asia, he didn't mention anything about a new Silk Road. So you'd think that that would have been his big place to talk about it. But the term caught on. I mean, Xi Jinping said he's, well, he want to build a new Silk Road. People thought, oh, what is this? And Western media reports proliferated. Eventually, China's foreign ministry started saying, oh yes, we did mean that. <laughs> they had no announcement previously, but they picked up on it uh, in an article. Actually, the first Chinese article about it was global media law Xi Jinping's <laughs> Silk Road. Uh, so apparently it was an accidental branding exercise. But then a month later, when he went to speak at the Indonesian parliament, well, at that point, people were saying, where's our Silk Road? Is the Silk Road only for Central Asia or can we in Southeast Asia have a Silk Road too? And so he actually announced there the Maritime Silk Road. So ironically, or a bit confusingly for people, the Silk Road is the maritime component going around the Indian Ocean and the economic belt is across Asia to Europe, but all folded together into Belt and Road and the Belt and Road Initiative. Dan Andrews, uh, your premier, has put the Belt and Road Initiative at the center of his personal China diplomacy. I mean, I think he was elected at the end of 2014, if I remember right. In 2015, he launched a China policy, went to visit China for the first time, pledged that he would be visiting China uh, every year and that every member of his uh, cabinet should visit China as well. China was going to be the center of his uh well, his foreign policy. Now, whether or not a premiership of foreign policy is something we'll be talking about. In 2016, he launched the big, sorry, so he first visited China in 2015. 2016, he launched a China strategy. 
uh, when he visited China that first visit, the Chinese authorities kind of fobbed him off on Sichuan. China has this program. It's not a formal program. I should say it is a practice of one province, one country. So when they deal with smaller countries, or for that matter, Victoria, a state in a country, they don't want to have to have every country be connected to Beijing because you know, there are 200 countries in the world. Many of them are, let's face it, rather small, and China doesn't want to put the resources into dealing with every country. So they tend to fob off a country on a particular province of China. Uh, we've seen this with, with the Belt and Road in particular. African countries have been partnered with specific provinces in China. Now, Victoria already had a sister state agreement with Jiangsu province in eastern China, but Jiangsu is the richest province in China. Uh, it's well-developed. There's not, uh, it, it hasn't been really embedded in the whole Belt and Road rhetoric because it's already a developed area of China. Jiangsu is where um, Nanjing is uh, in Suzhou. It's just the hinterland of Shanghai. In fact, historically, Shanghai would have been part of Jiangsu province, but it's its own province in today's China. So it's the richest area of China. When Dan Andrews wanted to up Victoria's China ties, he was fobbed off on Sichuan. <laughs> Sichuan's in Western China, and they were assigned to kind of host this maverick leader from Australia, who I think people in China at the time didn't really know who he was uh, or have much awareness of what, how useful he could be in their diplomacy. Well, he made it very clear he wanted to engage fully with China. So you know, they signed a sister uh, state agreement with Jiangsu. I'm sorry, with uh, Sichuan in Western China to add to the existing one with Jiangsu. Uh, 2016, the Victorian government produced its big China strategy rewrite, uh, pledging to make Victoria the center for Chinese investment in Australia. 2017, Dan Andrews attended the Belt and Road Forum in China, the only non-national leader invited to the Belt and Road Forum. So whereas other countries are represented by their premiers and uh, presidents, Australia had Dan Andrews. 2018, there was a big progress report on how well Victoria had done. And again, I'll go into some of the details for that in a few minutes. And how well Victoria done in attracting Chinese investment. Later that year was the secret MOU, the Memorandum of Understanding that all of us have heard about that became hugely controversial because at the end of 2018, well, the Victorian government signed a Memorandum of Understanding not with Sichuan, not with a state in China, but with the NDRC, the National Development and Reform Commission, which sits directly under the premier. It's essentially a, uh, the, it's a cabinet uh, type of uh, uh, body within China. It sits uh, just under China's cabinet. And it's responsible, as the National Development and Reform Com Commission would, would suggest, for the development of China. Uh, it's responsible for reform. It's responsible for overseeing the investments of state-owned enterprises. It no longer directly oversees state-owned enterprises, but it oversees their foreign investment. And then in 2019, this secret, later published memorandum of understanding, was reinforced with a framework agreement for Victoria to join China's Belt and Road Initiative. The only non-country, the only sub-national entity to join the Belt and Road. Uh, now, that, of course, was a slap in the face of the federal government, which uh, is, or the Commonwealth government, which is responsible for foreign affairs. Uh, today, we have in committee, in parliament, 
discussions about the proposed Australia's foreign relations bill, which would give the foreign minister veto power over any state and local and university international agreements. At the press conference uh, presenting the Australia's foreign relations bill, a journalist asked Scott Morrison, well, are these laws all about China or are they not? Prime Minister, no, these laws are about Australia's national sovereign interests. Journalist, yet your biggest concern is China, is it not? Prime Minister, my biggest concern is Australia's national sovereign interests. So you won't be drawn on connecting the Australia's foreign relations bill to Victoria's Belt and Road Initiative. Well, I'll tell you, everyone knows that the whole reason for the Australia's foreign relations bill is to give the foreign minister the power to abrogate Victoria's Belt and Road Agreement. Now, China, this is not the first time China has used subnational diplomacy to try to undermine political cohesion in other countries. Scotland in 2005 and 2008 signed education memorandum of understanding between the Scottish education system and the national uh, education ministry in China. All of Scotland's other agreements were with education boards, not with national governments, when Scotland set up its own independent uh, university system. But with China, it was an agreement with the national government. You also may remember here in Australia, in Western Australia in 2011, uh, Colin Barnett, then premier, signed its, his own memorandum of understanding with China's NDRC, National Development Reform Commission. Uh, that was demoted on the Chinese side, although it was signed with the NDRC, they did demote it so that uh, the actual operation of the agreement was to be delegated to a resources um, ministry, I don't remember the name of it, in Western Australia and a similar resources uh, ministry in China. But Colin Barnett went to the Australian media and said that this is allowing Western Australia to establish, quote unquote, a separate identity that, quote, raises the relationship between Western Australia and China to a new level. Interestingly, this agreement was not mentioned at all in the Chinese media. <laughs> As I've searched, at least in English, they have never mentioned this agreement. Um, but change happens, right? So this agreement was signed in, towards the end of 2011 under, uh, I think at the very moment, just, um, Julia Gillard was uh, prime minister. It's hard to remember with all the flip-flops, but Julia Gillard was prime minister at the time. Of course, Colin Barnett uh, was a liberal who was very anti-Gillard. Uh, they had a, a lot of personal butting of heads. Did he sign this agreement to embarrass Julia Gillard? I don't know. Um, of course, very soon afterwards, a year, a little more than a year later, uh, both Hu Jintao in China was out of power, replaced by Xi Jinping. And uh, Kevin Rudd was out of power, replaced by Tony Abbott. The agreement disappeared. And there's virtually no follow-up on anything after 2012, 2013 uh, with this agreement that Western Australia signed to bring investment into Western Australia. Again, cutting the Commonwealth government out of the process. Uh, so here we had a liberal premier confronting a labor Commonwealth government saying that he is going to establish a direct relationship between Western Australia and China. Now, Scotland, again, going chronologically in 2016, signed a massive infrastructure memorandum of understanding with uh, Chinese state-owned firms. Uh, again, $10 billion was the initial memorandum of understanding for Chinese investment into Scotland. Uh, again, it collapsed. 
It didn't actually go anywhere, no benefits. And it, be, it became a, uh, a big controversy in UK politics that Scotland was going directly to China to get money. Dan Andrews, having visited China multiple times, uh, he actually said in his own uh, statements about his China relationship that he had close personal relations with some of China's most influential government representatives. Uh, in 2016, in the China policy, he actually said the Victorian government, this is a quote again, will pave the way for advanced engagement with China. This is particularly important in China where government plays a critical role in business and influences trade and investment outcomes. In other words, what he's saying essentially is that Victoria is going to create a relationship with China knowing full well that the investment that comes to Victoria as a result is coming because of government largesse on China's part. They're not lobbying for market-driven investments by Chinese firms because Victoria is a more competitive investment destination. Victoria is saying explicitly, and Dan Andrews is saying explicitly, we're doing this because the personal uh, lobbying of government is how we get government-directed investment into uh, Victoria. Again, another quote from Dan Andrews, this one from 2018. I've been proud to meet some of the most senior figures in the Chinese government, like Premier Li Keqiang, and welcome many to our state. In 2017, I was honored, honored to be the only leader of an Australian state invited to the prestigious Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation held in Beijing, and based on President Xi Jinping's vision for stronger economic and social ties with partner states. Now, what was the result of this? Well, between 2016 and 2018, according to Victoria's own uh, China uh, strategy update, they got investments from eight major state-owned or state-linked companies in China. The Bank of China, Citic uh, Ch Trust, uh, the China Railroad Rolling Stock Corporation, uh, Hisense, which makes appliances, Huawei, you all know from the controversy over Huawei's involvement in 5G, Power China, state-owned uh, power plant developer, uh, Kanos, which is part of the China National Chemical Corporation. All eight of these companies are either state-owned enterprises or quasi-state-owned enterprise in the case of Huawei. Huawei is not technically an SOE. It's technically owned by its employees who are members of the state union. So the, the state union technically controls Huawei, not the state uh, itself. But in China, six of one, half dozen of the other. Uh, all of these organizations can only make foreign investments with the direct approval of the NDRC, which is led by Li Keqiang, who... Dan Andrews had met and developed this relationship with. So these eight organizations are investing in Victoria, not so much in, um, as an economic proposition to develop Victoria, but they're redirecting their Australian investments towards Victoria. Now, we can't know for certain why Victoria won things like headquarter, Australian headquarters and such instead of New South Wales, instead of putting things in Sydney or elsewhere in Australia. We can't say for certain that, that Victoria's gain has been at the rest of Australia's expense, but practically speaking, that's what it seems to be, that, uh, that Dan Andrews has personally lobbied the Chinese government to redirect Chinese state-controlled investments away from other areas, other states in Australia, and to put their headquarters and put their investments into Victoria. The quid pro quo for that, of course, is his praise for China's Belt and Road Initiative. Okay. 
On top of all that, the China Investment Corporation, which is not an SOE, is actually a sovereign wealth fund of the Chinese government, made a major investment in the port of Melbourne uh, that allowed the consortium, the Lansdale, Lansdale Consortium, which it's part, to outbid the rival, mostly Australian consortium uh, for control of the port of Melbourne. Now, of course, from the standpoint of the people of Victoria, they got more money for the port. So that is a win. But it's a win at what cost, right? So it's a state-owned, it's not just state-owned, it's the Chinese state investing in the port of Melbourne, presumably because of political lobbying. We don't know that. All we know is that Dan Andrews said he was going to personally lobby China, and he's taking credit that his personal lobbying resulted in these investments. Now, why does China care about Dan Andrews, right? I mean, I could personally lobby China for hundreds of millions of dollars. They're not going to give it to me. Uh, China values the political endorsements it gets, especially in countries where it has troubled international relations. It's showing that, well, the national government may not understand China, but people in the country are supporting China. And it's politically important to them. So China, so Victoria signed in 2018 a memorandum of understanding to join China's Belt and Road Initiative. I'm going to guarantee you, having read this, it's a three-page MOU, you can get it online, it's now available, uh, it's now published. This MOU was not written in Victoria. In fact, I doubt any Victorian lawyer, I mean, I have great respect for the University of Melbourne Law School, I doubt any Victorian lawyer had any hand in drafting this agreement. Let me quote to you from it. The opening sentence, the government of the state of Victoria, Australia, hereinafter referred to as the parties and the National Development and Reform Commission of the People's Republic of China, dot, 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 do these things. Now, I'm no lawyer, <laughs> but hereinafter referred to as the parties, plural, shouldn't be state of Victoria. It should be state of Victoria and the NDRC hereinafter referred to as the parties. Now, there's an elementary drafting error in the very first sentence of the MOU. Uh, and then it goes on, based on the aspiration of promoting the Silk Road spirit, centering on peace, cooperation, openness, inclusiveness, mutual learning and mutual benefits, and aspiration to further enrich such spirit in keeping with the new era. Again, this doesn't sound like Victorian language to me. Uh, the parties decide to work together to explore and form synergy in cooperation, enhance policy coordination, and further promote friendly cooperation. Again, this is just boilerplate from Chinese memorandum of understanding that's been uh, copied and pasted in Australia. The text of the 2019 framework agreement is even funnier. I'm just going to quote one of the principles. Uh, there, there are three major principles of the framework agreement. One of them is, quote, comply with international rules and respect laws of opposite country with highlighting the importance of procedure open, transparent, and non-discriminatory. Another quote, again, I love this. This is, this is the uh, whole text of the infrastructure development clause. Both sides acknowledge that infrastructure is a key area of jointly promoting the Belt and Road Initiative. In this area, both sides have good cooperation foundation, great potential and prospect. Both sides agree to further enhance cooperation of relevant companies. Now, this sort of Pigeon English uh, has clearly been drafted in Beijing. These are boilerplates. You can even see on the framework agreement that it's in the standard Chinese 
frame that they use for their official announcements. Um, this has been essentially China has said, if you want, and this is my um, uh, inference from what I see, China has said to Victoria, we'll direct investment to Victoria, sign this. And of course, what Victoria is signing are non-binding agreements. So they can legitimately say we haven't given up anything. All they've given up is their soul, right? There's no, uh, there's no practical consequence. Uh, it's just a sign the agreement and get the investment. Well, you know, in some purely instrumental sense, why not sign? Now, you know, so I'm sorry, I have to interrupt at this stage. We seem yep. to be running out of time. Could oh, we, sorry. Could we, uh, could we kindly take a couple of quick questions? Uh, one quick uh, from past president Robert Fisher. Sure, if sure. If the AFRB is abrogated, what will that do to the already tense relationship between Australia and China? Um, I don't know what it will do. Uh, the, the AFRB will give the power, give, give the federal government the power to abrogate these uh, agreements, but the agreements are pretty empty. As it is, uh, the AFRB really is just an anti-embarrassment tool, which is, was my final slide, actually. An anti-embarrassment tool for the uh, Commonwealth government. It allows the Commonwealth government to technically say that it's ended this embarrassing agreement. But in practice, well, the damage is done. The agreements don't have any practical effect anyway. They're just signing something. And Dan Andrews or any other premier could still go to China give a speech saying he endorses the Belt and Road and believes in win-win cooperation with China towards a friendly future, and the AFRB won't stop that. So I don't know if it'll have any practical impact either on Australia-China Australia relations or, and I think more importantly, on state behavior in Australia. Uh, another question from our president, Marion McLeod. What risks do Victorians take on with China owning a commercial port entry? I don't think very much. Uh, the the port is is run commercially, and actually China has, I'm going to admit, a, a pretty good record running ports commercially. They've uh, seen, by all accounts, done a great job of running Piraeus. Uh, the big question is not will they do something that harms the ports. The big question is will does it harm Victoria's democratic processes to have that level of foreign interference? That is to have investment decisions being made. Um, on the basis of personal diplomacy with a totalitarian regime. 